0: hey what is up thanks for listening to work stuff this time i'm chatting with a friend i've known for a long time but haven't actually seen in at least a few years snapper tams is a prosecutor for Loudoun county in virginia his official fancy title is senior assistant commonwealth's attorney though basically he puts away bad guys in the wealthiest county in america which is true i looked it up afterwards We talk about a lot of great stuff, like working as summer camp counselors together and how that's actually helped him as a lawyer now. Some of the things we get into are his passion for corrections reform, how he's managed to land some of his past positions just by standing out and being persistent, and how the pandemic affected him being just 10 days into his new job. And I meant to bring this up, but I totally forgot in the interview, Snapper also makes some hilarious cocktail how-to videos. You can check those out on Instagram at snapshotcocktails, and you can check them out on YouTube too. As always, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Word Stuff. Can you see my screen? No, I don't think so cuz it's just for
1: listening. I'm the guy who brings up word stuff at parties. My name is Andy and I want you to join me. Word Stuff, a podcast. Word Stuff, professional stories casually told. How you doing, man? Good.
0: How are you doing? I'm doing so good. Life is good, good man. I Can't complain. Good. It's been a That's a long awesome. time.
1: I know it has. I know. Too long.
0: Too long, but I uh, I know you've yeah. been such a driven person. Sure. Uh, you've had like lofty lofty <laughs> goals uh, ever since I know you, which was a long time ago. Yep. You, you like went and did it. You did it, man. Like look at I've you. I've done
1: I've done part of it. I got a lot more to do, but I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm <laughs> moving forward. That's the best I can do, you know. Always keep moving forward.
0: Yeah, 1% every day. That's right. you lo- Are you located in Virginia?
1: I live in Virginia, yep. So I, I live and work in what is called Loudoun County. So it's about 45 minutes to an hour west of Washington, D.C. That, that suburban sprawl has spread out into Loudoun County, but was recently yeah. named the second fastest growing county in the entire country. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So it's, it's crazy to see how much it's changed. I've only been here for like three years, but it's crazy to see how much it's changed just in that short amount of time.
0: So yeah, are you considered a transplant still, or have you made it past the transplant label? So,
1: you know, it's funny, Loudoun County until recently had been very, very rural. And so you weren't, you know, from Loudoun County until you had like seven generations that had been here in Loudoun County. So yeah. it depends on who you ask. If you ask some of the newer people, yeah, I'm probably getting close. If you ask the people who've been here for a while, I'm nowhere near it.
0: Yeah. I felt that way in <laughs> Seattle too. Like, yeah. Never really accepted as a, a local. I yep. felt like I was a decade away from that, feeling really yep. welcomed as a local. Again. Oh, 100%. Um, and
1: you're, you're back in LA now, right?
0: Back in LA, actually in, in Reseda. Yeah. Awesome.
1: That's so cool. Full circle.
0: <laughs> it's funny because I didn't think I'd be like a valley suburban dad. Like, here I am. You know, <laughs> here I am in the valley with a kid, you know? <laughs> I thought I'd be somewhere else, like like yeah, you yeah, are.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. yeah,
0: let's chat about what are you doing now. Yep. But then I'll we'll go into like how we know each other. Yep. Because I also want to ask you about our shared experience as a camp counselor. But what are you doing now? Who you work for, and what kind of day to day do you get involved in?
1: Yep. So I am a senior assistant commonwealth attorney, and that is a fancy title for a prosecutor. So I work for. Yeah. The local government for Loudoun County, and I prosecute criminal offenses that occur in Loudoun County, Virginia. Mm -hmm. Um, My day-to-day, I am in court all the time, usually multiple times per day, but at a minimum three days per week, sometimes all five days a week. I'm handling all kinds of different things from arraignments to the bond hearing in cases misdemeanor offenses, a number of felony offenses, doing preliminary hearings, doing trials, coordinating with witnesses, with victims, gathering evidence, making plea offers, going through that and or taking cases through to uh, a jury trial and
0: presenting the evidence in court. Wow, that's so gnarly, man. It's a whole world that just kind of exists (laughs) in the background. of society you know it's always going on you see the crazy stuff on youtube that sure you know becomes national news and everything but like to have that day-to-day in a courtroom is just mind-blowing to me when it's like such an impactful part of all these people's lives and it's your daily life that's crazy sure
1: and and it's uh it's funny most people see like law and order and they think all right cool we found out who the bad guy was we arrested him And then we brought him to court and obviously he was convicted because all these things happened. But man, Mm -hmm. it is not like that at all. The rules of evidence Mm -hmm. are insane. And I'm not saying they're like wrong, right? But there are so many hurdles that people don't realize that we have to overcome Mm -hmm. and and then add in, you know, all of where we are in America in 2023 and policing and the front lines of that. And we get some of that thrown in there too. So it's, uh, it's a wild time to be doing this job.
0: Yeah. And you said you've been there for three years. Have you been in this role? for, for that long.
1: So I have been a prosecutor for all three of those years. I was recently promoted to senior assistant a couple months ago at the end of 2022. So I've got to bump up to more of a supervisory role. So now I'm helping some of the younger, newer prosecutors grow and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's a lot of the same, just a little bit more supervising and a little bit more of the the tougher, gnarlier cases.
0: Gotcha. So the reason I asked was because I was curious, because like the policing topic in America Yeah. So it was most relevant during those three years. I mean, like with George Floyd and even before that.
1: 100%. It's interesting, too, because Loudoun County is also the wealthiest county in America by median household income. Oh, wow. Um, So we have some unique crimes, and we probably have fewer of the violent gang related crimes other jurisdictions have. So we kind of get a weird mix of things, a lot of white collar offenses.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask, like, what kind of criminals are you you getting, and what what are the most common offenses? Yeah. I mean,
1: we still get homicides. We still get a lot of actually, take it back. It's not just white collar. We have a lot of domestic violence. Uh, That's probably the biggest piece of violence we have. Um, we definitely do still get some homicides, malicious woundings, attempted mm-hmm. murders, strangulation, but a lot of domestic assault, a ton of DUIs. Um, so I have a lot of felony DUIs, which are either third mm-hmm. DUI offenses within 10 years or DUIs that result in serious injury or fatalities. So we get a yeah. lot of those also.
0: Wow, man. Well, hats yeah. off to you for putting bad guys away, I guess. <laughs>
1: that's <laughs> Thank awesome.
0: You. I think that's a good picture of where you're at now. Yep. So let's rewind like 15 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. So Snapper and I know each other as camp counselors, and actually we were campers at this day camp that's now where a bunch of NBA players send their kids to play (laughs) basketball, uh, Sierra Canyon. Um, And Snapper was also a student there, but I think you had your eyes set on... A legal career at that time, right?
1: Yeah, well, I I think it was kind of close to that. So I think you and I probably started working there about 14, we would have been 14 years old, Uh, counselors in training, Mm -hmm. the unpaid internship of camp counselors. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you and I both kind of grew in our roles and were promoted to junior counselor, head counselor specialist all the way up. And I think I developed where I wanted to go with my life at probably about 20. But I was still spending my summers working at Sierra Canyon. Mm -hmm. Um, but it would have been sometime in college and I became really interested in criminal justice reform, specifically corrections reform. And the whole goal that I was kind of looking at is when we take somebody who's committed some criminal offense, right? And they're convicted and they're sentenced to X amount of time. What Mm -hmm. are we getting out of that, right? Mm -hmm. What what are we, what is that three years going to do? Are they just going to sit there idly and they're going to be released back out where Mm -hmm. they now have this three-year gap of their resume. They have the same lack of job skills, the same lack of life skills that put them there in the first place or are we gonna make those three years somehow productive where maybe they will have job right. skills, they will have a GED, they will have some sort of trade, they will have life skills on how to better deal with triggering situations, anger management, whatever it is to not end up exactly where they were before. So really right. trying to reduce recidivism. And so that's kind of where all of that goal came from.
0: Yeah, I remember you you were passionate about that even at 20. So it was just like, man, this, <laughs> this guy has the drive for it. He's gonna change the world, I think. Um, that's try awesome. One step at a time, yeah. Dude, I often think about this in my own work. The experience as a camp counselor, I think was super valuable. 100%. Do you ever think of that? Like as a lawyer, I'm just curious, because it's such a different world that I live in now, but like, do you ever think like fondly of that experience? Like what did you learn as a camp counselor that you bring into your professional career now?
1: Absolutely. Uh, First thing that I think of is public speaking. I mean, we had, for people who don't know the camp, we had like dress up days. And so we had themed days (laughs) where the campers would dress up but it looked really lame and the kids didn't get as invested and involved in it. If the counselors were just wearing their normal uniforms. So we were all encouraged. And I think most of us bought into really going hard and dressing up fully for those days and for those events and getting involved in those. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're 20 years old and you're dressing up like some action figure or whatever, it's kind of lame on the outside, but we were so bought in at that point and in that Mm -hmm. little world that I, I really have like no shame in just doing crazy out of the box things. I'm not really afraid of how that looks to other people. And then also speaking at, you know, we had Closing Circle, we had all the groups together and you had probably looking out at like 50 to 80 kids, depending on the day, a whole bunch of other counselors and you're, they were singing whatever ridiculous songs and it's super nerve wracking at the beginning, but over time you kind of just let go of that fear. And the more you do it, the more you just kind of become comfortable with it. And that, I think, has translated a lot into my job now, speaking to witnesses and victims, speaking in court to the judge, speaking to a jury for the first time where they're all judging me. And and my job is to put on all of this evidence for them and convince Mm -hmm. them that whatever I'm alleging actually happened. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing that comes to mind. I think the second, and this was the the big I word that we all learned, especially earlier yeah. on there when we were CITs was taking initiative to yep. go out and do these things. Don't wait for the things to come to you. And that happens in my case investigation, my evaluation and, and preparation, and then also helping the other younger attorneys in the office. I don't want to wait for them all the time to come and ask me questions. But when I was a younger attorney, I had to take the initiative to go out and get my answers to my questions when I had them. So Mm -hmm. those are the two things that probably transfer over most for me from back then.
0: Yeah, that is so true. I'm sure you've worn your fair share of princess outfits. Like literally (laughs) just, just, you only have to think of anything funny to say to kids. It's like, just wear a princess outfit and you just got to own that eventually.
1: A hundred percent.
0: Dude, I wanted to ask you about your time in college because I remember it was unique, right? It was the way that they did classes was different. Um, I wanted to ask just like what you, like how'd you like that? And if you want to explain like how it was different and then like what you got out of that experience.
1: So I went to Colorado College, which is uh, located in Colorado Springs. So it is not the University of Boulder. Most people think it is. It is not. It's a very small school of like 2000 students total. So you have like 500 graduating in each class. And it's not a university, there are no master's programs, it's just mm-hmm. the undergrad. And it runs off of something called the block plan. With the block plan, you take one class at a time for three and a half weeks, and you cover mm-hmm. an entire semester's worth of material in that three and a half weeks. So it's super, super condensed, but you go all the way in and it's super intense. So they say that like if you miss one day of class, it's the equivalent of missing a week on the semester plan, because there's so oh, much man. that happens in that. Yeah. most classes were from like nine in the morning to about noon. And then you have mm-hmm. a lunch break and then you go to like one to three or one to four. I absolutely loved it. Cause I could go all the way in the professors. know you only have that one class. You don't have any other scheduling conflicts. So you could literally just take, you know, your second or third week and go on a field trip to anywhere else in Colorado or out of state. And that's where you were doing class. And we had a couple of remote campuses. So it was really wow. easy to do that, but it was super cool. So we had, each actual semester was four blocks in mm-hmm. eight blocks in, you know, a school year, September to May or June,
0: whatever it was. It's wild. And was it in a certain order? or Could you like jump around? I imagine like it's like, OK, you got to jump on this class because it's like once in a blue moon when you can take it.
1: Sure. So there were a few yeah. of those in some classes like any other. You have prereqs. Right. I think one of the cool things is it's such a small school. So you had really small classes. Most classes were capped at 25 students. So you had a really, really small environment um, and you really got to know your classmates and you really got to know your professors. We called all of our professors by their first names. That was like the thing there. And so it was kind of just this much more casual laid back environment, but it was still just every bit as intense and rigorous as you know every other school it was just much more collegial I think
0: I don't know how I would have done in that environment I mean for the classes that I was into it would have been so Mm -hmm. cool to dive in straight to it but then also it's like if I'm not into this at least I know it's not forever Um, exactly
1: and that's the cool thing I don't have to deal with this and dread this for the next four months I just got to get through the next three weeks or whatever
0: right right and then it's just one thing that you're focused on at a time and not sporadically you know thinking about all this other stuff yeah U of O I mean I was definitely just a small little fish in a giant pond every single class until like senior year, probably uh, when I had those smaller classes. So I definitely envy you for that for sure.
1: Well, my experience was a little bit different too, for another reason. So when I, when I went there, I applied early decision and I ended up being Mm. the only school that I applied to because I got in early decision. So that made Mm. it really easy, but because Mm -hmm. I was locked in, they also were like, this guy for sure wants to go here. Um, and we know that, so we're actually going to, you can come, but you're going to be a winner star. So I actually started a semester late and they made a Facebook group called our college class of 2023 and everybody's in there. And I literally just went down the list one day. It took me like 45 minutes and I just hit add Friend to every single person who was on that list. Nice. And I have I a it. unique name. Right. And so
0: yeah.
1: everybody's like, who is this guy? And then, you know, everybody gets to school in September and I'm not there. And everybody's like, who is this guy? And <laughs> right. one of my good friends from uh from high school, actually, I don't think you know him, Andrew Clark, he ended up going to school or the school there also, but he started on time. And mm-hmm. so he's like, Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that guy. And they're like, wait, so he's like real, he exists. And I became kind of this urban legend on campus because I wasn't there for the first four months. So they had oh my god, I, at one point they had like an intramural sports team that was called Who is Snapper Tams?
0: No, And they had way. written
1: like a newspaper article about me and everything. They're like, is this guy real? Is he a phantom? And so when I finally got to campus in January, everybody was like, oh my God. Like I'd walk down the library. They're like, oh my God, that's never tams. I'm like, i I'd just, I'd just go to school here, guys. Like whatever, right? It's, it was kind of funny.
0: Dude, that is so yeah. hilarious. That's like creating this aura <laughs> around you, just like manufacturing right. it just by like being outgoing and like also right. being absent at the same uh, time. Exactly, exactly. So you went to that school because you liked the way that they did classes. You knew what you wanted to do with your career at that point, And you felt like you had the path forward for it.
1: So my sophomore year, I took a class called Deviance and Social Control. And I knew that I was interested in crime and criminology. At that point, I think mm-hmm. I wanted to be like an FBI profiler, like a criminal profiler working for the FBI. So like the show Criminal Minds is the easiest way cool. to explain it. And I went and visited... <laughs> Uh, on a field trip to prisons in Southern Colorado and we talked to some of the Mm. inmates actually who were there and they were in these correctional industries. We talked to one guy who had designed and was like literally assembling a fiberglass kitchen insert for an RV. Prior to his incarceration he knew how to do none of these things at all and so we're looking at this and saying well we have these really cool programs where this guy is getting these like I was talking about job skills and they're also learning these you know life skills to succeed on the outside why are we not doing that more? And their stats are 19% recidivism rate versus a 75% five-year recidivism rate Mm. nationwide for people not doing these programs. I kind of started looking at it. Why why is nobody doing this? Why is nobody looking at this part of it? The FBI is not hurting for job applicants, right? They're going to have plenty of people who want to come work for them. Who's doing this? Who's trying to fix corrections? And when you look at America's stats, Against the rest of the world, we have like 5% of the world's population, but more than 25% of the incarcerated population. We've got to look at what we're doing and why is that not working as effectively as other places. I'm all about holding people accountable, but at the same time, 97% of people who are incarcerated right now today, 97% will be released at some point do we want them coming out as better criminals so they've just been sitting idle there this whole time? Or do we want to give them skills so they succeed and they actually come out better citizens, tax-paying, mm-hmm. productive members of our communities? Because they're coming out, how do we want them to look? And that's the question I really started looking at after that field trip. So mm-hmm. by my junior and senior year, I was pretty much on this track and looking at what I wanted to do with my career.
0: That's so sick, man. And so true. Um, obviously, we have a love affair with Prisons, like there's a privatized prison yeah. industrial complex yep. that yep. I'm sure. Yep. I'm sure they look at these numbers and they're like, "Well, why would we keep them from coming back into the system?" Right, right, um, right. I mean, they're incentivized money to
1: bring them back. Yeah.
0: And so you kind of identify. I like that you you like zigged when others zagged. Right. Like everyone's looking at these big sure. fancy three letter agencies: CIA, FBI, yeah. etc. Like, well, wait a minute, where can I stand out?
1: That's kind of what I'm drawn to and makes it so exciting. I don't want to just go somewhere else and replicate what other people have done. I want to do something new and unique for the world. Um, And I'm a big fan of, in my heart, really, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, And I just have a strong entrepreneurial spirit. And uh, Richard Branson said something one time, don't just go out and try to do something and become rich doing, you know, this one thing that you think is cool first, find a need in the world and then develop something that's going to fix that need. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what I, at least what I think on, or what I think I'm doing is we have a need to fix this. I think I have some sort of a solution and this is what I'm going to do to fix this problem that I think exists.
0: Right. Yeah. Any annoying little process that you find in your daily life? Yeah. You could probably think of like a product to solve that. And that's, that's a business right there. Hundred percent. Okay. So I went to the university of Richmond law school. I'm just curious, like what that, what that process was like for you.
1: Yeah. So the application process was, was fun and funny. I had no idea where I wanted to go, but I knew I wanted to leave Los Angeles. That was the goal. I got to get out of LA. I don't know where I want to go, but I'm getting out of here. So I applied to law schools all over the country. So the number one thing that law schools look at in your application is your LSAT score. Second Mm -hmm. is your GPA, at least as far as metrics go. And then they kind of look at your application as a whole. But your LSAT score is really important. So your Mm -hmm. goal is you got to crush the LSAT. So I took the LSAT. I did, by my standards, I think very poorly on the LSAT. Um, I had been doing practice tests and my score came in well below what my practice tests were. Oh at. wow. So I think I to this day misbubbled a section. And so that mm. just kind of threw off the whole thing. Super deflated, super bummed, kept working, kept practicing, got even better at you know the test taking strategies, went and took the LSAT again and did much better the second time and yeah. had a, a pretty decent score. And that score is then sent out to schools nationwide. And they say, Oh, wow, that's a pretty good score. And so they will give you a fee waiver to apply to their school. So usually it costs like 120, 150 bucks to send each application. So I got a whole lot of these fee waivers and identified a few schools that were like really high on my list, loved these schools. And then I had a few, or I guess a number of other schools that were like, hey, uh, apply here for free. So I got a fee waiver from the University of Richmond. Mm-hmm. My first thought was like, yeah, her Vermont's cool. So like, yeah, I could totally go there having no idea that Richmond is actually in Virginia. I was like, yeah, Vermont's cool. Just, you know, whatever. Send it, send it there. I apply. No second thoughts. Just it's gone, right? Whatever. Okay, cool. I get a call sometime later from the dean of admissions um, saying, hey, you've been admitted to the school. You know, we hope you'll really strongly consider us. Uh, And I'm like, yeah, 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 okay, whatever. At this point, I have now learned that Richmond is actually not only in Virginia, it is the capital of Virginia. And she's like, please, please, please come visit the school. And I was like, all right, fine. You, You went out of your way to call me. You didn't just send me an email. You didn't mail me a letter. You actually called me personally. I appreciate that. I promise you, I'll come visit the school in the back of my head still saying, you know what, I'm probably not going to go here. But I was going on a trip already to visit some other schools on the East Coast. Georgetown, Duke, William & Mary, American University in D.C. So I was like, cool, Richmond's like right along that line. I can make that work, uh, and I'll stop Mm -hmm. there right after I go to Wake Forest. So Mm -hmm. I go there, and I swear to you, the University of Richmond has the most gorgeous campus in the entire country. And I've set foot on a number of college campuses just from random tours or going to sporting events, whatever. I swear to you, University of Richmond is the most gorgeous campus in the entire country.
0: She knew what she was doing. She knew how to to make the sale, right? exactly what she was doing. You got to come here, then the sale is made.
1: Yeah, (laughs) 100%. And so uh, I started talking to the faculty and they had, I knew that I was interested in in criminal justice Mm
0: -hmm. and they
1: have a tremendous criminal law faculty. And I think the best criminal law curriculum in the entirety of at least Virginia and one of the best in the country. Mm -hmm. But I still wasn't sold. I I still thought at that point that I was going to go to Wake Forest in North Carolina. And I was so torn between both schools and so in Mm -hmm. love with both schools that I literally had to fly back out and go to them on back-to-back days. And there was something I just couldn't shake about the University of Richmond. And Wake Forest was ranked like 25 spots higher. And I realized in this process you can't pay attention to the rankings because they really don't mean a lot. Like one of the yep. factors that goes into your rankings is the size of the library and how many books you have in your library. And so ultimately <laughs> that led me to, to deciding to go to the University of Richmond. And I just, I couldn't shake it. I fell in love with it.
0: That's incredible. So how, how far yep. is the campus from you now?
1: Uh, so now I'm about two to two and a half hours north of, of Richmond. So I'm on like the okay. northern tip of oh, uh, yeah, saw, Virginia, yeah. bordering West Virginia and Maryland yeah. and Richmond's like down in the center of the state.
0: Oh, right on. Okay. And then I think they like got good, pretty good at basketball where you were there, right? Like they they showed up in the tournament. So it must have been yeah. fun. Right?
1: I, I think they were like they made the quarterfinals of the NIT the year before I got there. And then yeah. I think they had won the division one uh double A, so FCS College Football Championship, like two or three oh, cool. years before I got there, maybe a little longer than that. But yeah, they got kind of good at football and, and basketball while I was there. So that was cool.
0: Yeah. I don't know if that was a factor for you for going to wake forest and having like ACC football or anything.
1: So uh, that was definitely an aspect in favor yeah. of wake forest. And I wish I cared about that more because it would have made my decision much, much easier. Uh, I'm also a diehard Clippers fan. And at the time, Chris Paul was on the Clippers who oh. went to wake forest. So I was like, Oh, that's a great fit. And I just, you know, I couldn't bring myself to make that decision based on that.
0: Yeah. That's funny. Right on dude. So You've got your law degree now. Yeah. I see that you went to the Virginia House of Delegates and you were legislative counsel to one of the delegates. Mark, what does that even mean? I don't know what any of those words mean.
1: Yeah. So I will say one of the keys to success is, is network like crazy. So my first summer of law school, so my the summer after my first year, I interned with uh, a state agency called the Department of Criminal Justice Services. And uh, I worked directly for who I guess at the time was the number two, she since became the director of the agency. And she would just like bring us to meetings all the time. And so we had one meeting that was for like victims of crime. It was a stakeholder meeting of what are we doing to basically increase services for victims and and victims' families of crime. And at this meeting, there were two state delegates and one state senator, and all three of them hung out with like maybe one elected sheriff from, from somewhere in Virginia And then my boss, and then myself, and and the other intern who was with us. And we were all just talking and just chatting. And at the end of it, um, one of the delegates, this one in particular, said, Wow, you both seem great. If either one of you want to intern with my office, um, please come do it. It it would be awesome. You know, we can always use the help during the legislative session. In Virginia, the legislative sessions are very, very short. All the laws we're going to make in Virginia every year are made in. You know, basically two to three months, um, but he said we could we could use your help. So come on down. And I said, yeah, that's awesome. That's great. He said, Just follow up with me, you know, before the next session. So I do. And I email his I, I think I actually email him directly um, and it ends up not working out the timing of it. But I go up and, and meet with him actually in Alexandria. So like right next to D.C., and uh we just have lunch together and just like talk about things he's like man i so love your passion i could feel your energy like you're you're great you just, you clearly seem to be a hard worker and uh it still didn't work out you know the just the timing of yeah. it didn't quite work out and i ran into him a couple more times and i made a point every time i would go down to the legislature which was in richmond that i would just go stop by and say hi and mm-hmm. he kind of was like pointed at me he kind of like vaguely remember me and that's all Smart. i needed i kind of just stayed Smart. on the radar stayed on the radar And I will say, uh, you know, I have I have uh, red hair and my name is Snapper. Like I stand out more than everybody else. Um, (laughs) So that definitely works to my advantage. But he sends me uh, a Facebook message like a week after I take the bar exam. I don't have a job at this point. I'm kind of like figuring out what I want to do because I have unique goals. And like I was saying, there's no path for that. So I can't just like go get job at X place. And that's going to take me where I want to go. He says, hey, how about you come work for me during session? Do you have anything else to do? So I said, no, that sounds great. I'll do that. And he has a full-time aide who works with him. And then they each get to add what is called a session aid during the session. For most of the legislators, the session aid is just kind of like managing daily paperwork and like filing through things and kind of keeping them organized and doing their calendar. He was like, no, 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 you're a lawyer. You know how to do things better and differently. You're going to read every single bill that I have to vote on, whether it's in committee or on the house floor or wherever it is, you're going to read every single bill and you're going to break it down for me. you're going to tell me exactly what this bill does, Oh man. how it works, what are the consequences, maybe some questions I should ask. Maybe there are some amendments that you think I should propose. And then you're going to give me a recommendation, not what you would do, but based on all of these things, what do you think I would do? How do you think I would vote on this? Wow. And so that was basically my job for three years. So I had a very unique position where I was basically the session aide, but in a much kind of higher level role, um, analyzing tons. I mean, I would read probably, you know, 50 to 120 pieces of legislation every single day trying to figure out what they did. So I'd be in my office from like, 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. doing this
0: oh my uh, God, but it dude. was
1: cool it was a lot of fun and I couldn't do that schedule year-round but for yeah. that short window seven or nine weeks you know mm-hmm. you're tired by the
0: end but but it's doable dude I can't even yeah, imagine cool. I mean yeah in order to do that you better you better say it's cool because uh yeah, otherwise yeah, you're yeah. in the wrong line of work Yep. I don't think yeah. I could do that. Like, let alone yep. digest all the info and suggest amendments. <laughs> like what?
1: <laughs> and look, some of the bills are really dumb. It's like, hey, we want to rename, you know, the, the Dolly Parton waterway to the, you know, Steve mm-hmm. Jobs waterway, because I don't know, Steve Jobs was important in this part of Virginia. And I'm like, nobody cares. It's nowhere, it's nowhere near your district. This doesn't matter. So when I say, you know, 50 mm-hmm. to 120. Mm-hmm. Some of them yeah. are really stupid. Some of gotcha. them are super, super complex. So yeah, there was a huge kind of, you know, variety of them.
0: And you're basically just feeding your brain with like, it's just a, it's like a fast track course of just information and knowledge and experience. Yeah. Just like, like, a, like a funnel, basically just pouring it into your brain.
1: The saying down at the legislature is it's like drinking from a fire hose. It's just constant, yeah. just, just a flow all at once. But it was cool. Yeah. I realized in that process, that I hate politics. I hate red, blue politics. I hate the gamesmanship. I hate all the Mm -hmm. stuff that goes into it. I hate all of the campaigning. I hate all of that stuff that goes into it. I love policy and legislation.
0: Mm -hmm. Love it. I mean, number one, I love the hustle of, I do this all the time where I'm like, I'm basically putting up little billboards everywhere, you know, and for time it it collects. And so what, what, so I love that, that story of like making that opportunity happen. That's super impressive. What came out of that experience? Like what happened after that?
1: So after the first session ended, he already had a full-time aide and he's like, look, I love working with you, but I've already hired this guy. I have no reason to fire him. So please come work for me next year. If it doesn't work out because you're doing something Mm. else, I get it. But you know, that would be great if you could come work for me. So around that time, I kind of ended up doing the same thing that I did to get this first job. Mm -hmm. Um, We were coming up on elections in Virginia. So in Virginia, each locality elects their own commonwealth's attorney. So they're the prosecutor in every jurisdiction, every county, city, town, whatever is elected. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were hosting a, a panel discussion with the one of the people running for prosecutor for Loudoun County, where I live for Fairfax County, the next county over toward DC, and then Arlington County, the kind of last county over uh, bordering DC, and then one other. So all three of them were, were challengers coming in brand new, trying to become prosecutors. And then one other person from down near Richmond, who was the incumbent. And it was just panel discussion. I said, yeah, this would be great. I should go check this out. Mm -hmm. And I had actually already met the Arlington candidate at actually the delegate that I worked for at one of his campaign events. She showed up because his district overlapped with her district. And so she wanted to come and have some face time with a bunch of people. So Mm -hmm. I'd met her and I think I saw it on her Twitter that they were doing this event. So I said, you know what, I'll just go. And uh, I I met um, the candidate for Loudoun County. I said, hey, I love the things that you said. Let me come volunteer in your campaign. Let me just come help you out. You know, whatever you need, let me know. I'd love to come do it. Cool. So I start kind of volunteering on her campaign and she's like, oh wait, you're like, you're a lawyer. You're like a real lawyer. You're like, you know, you have your bar card and everything. You're licensed. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing all those things. She's like, all right, well, why don't you just come work for my firm for a little bit and uh, you know, you can do that. We'll just start it part-time. And, uh, you know, we'll figure it out from there. I was like, okay, cool. So I kind of get get my foot in the door doing that, and then uh, end up kind of going to full time. And that's only seven months, because she ends up winning that election and becoming the Commonwealth's attorney. So that whole firm Closed down. They existed for like 17 years. There were three partners plus me as the associate. Wow. They closed down. The other two partners are now judges. And I end up going over and becoming a prosecutor and working for who is now my boss and then doing that for the next three years. And because I had worked for this delegate this one session, the delegate and the Commonwealth's attorney have become great friends, and so they basically, for those next two sessions, agreed that I could go down and work for him in Richmond during the legislative session, and then I would come back and be a, a prosecutor the rest of the year.
0: Wow, man. That's so cool.
1: So the delegate that I worked for, he ran for lieutenant governor at the same mm-hmm. time that he was up for his delegate seat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh lost in a very contested primary and then mm-hmm. ultimately because of that ended up losing his delegacy because he was just doing too much at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh I'm just a full-time prosecutor now. That's it on that front.
0: Gotcha. It's kind of crazy yeah. how like you kind of attach yourself to someone that you might believe in or someone who you are helping and yeah. their success becomes your success. And like yeah. just the voters end up deciding right. like which, where your career's gonna go. Like that's kind of yeah. wild.
1: And we're coming up on another election here in, uh, yeah. in June. And, and so it'll be, oh, really? it'll be interesting to see how that goes.
0: So, okay. Tell me about that. Like what, what are the, what are the different paths that that might, you might go down based on what happened? Is it like results come in June and, and something happens or like, when would something uh, change for you?
1: Yeah. So nothing would formally change for me until the end of 2023 the next term begins in January of 2024. So January one or whatever the first yeah. uh, weekday of, of 2024 is, mm-hmm. but there's a primary in June. And then the general election is I think in November. So either mm-hmm. one of those, cause there's a, my boss is a primary challenger and there's somebody else running in the other party in the general election. So either one of those could bring in a new Commonwealth's attorney. And then who knows, every mm-hmm. attorney who's in the office serves the pleasure of the Commonwealth's attorney. So they could keep or fire whoever they want for whatever reason, just because mm-hmm. they say, you know what? They don't align with my policy view or whatever. Right. I don't, they're hard workers, w- literally whatever. Yeah. And they could, you know, start fresh. So I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm right now, I'm just staying in my lane and trying to work yeah. hard.
0: That's all you can do. It is,
1: it is tough. <laughs> um, and, and that's why I'm just trying to keep my head down and yeah. do the best job that I can. And, yeah. and, you know, whatever happens, happens. But right now I'm just trying to be reasonable and, and hardworking and knowledgeable.
0: Yeah, you're good at that. I'll try, man. nice man um so kind of curious just like in your day-to-day how soon do you know that you're going to be in court and is it like um, are you building your own schedule is someone building this for you i'm just curious how it all works you know
1: yeah so the way that cases work at least in our court and i imagine in most of virginia and probably much of the country for us misdemeanor offenses are set on whole dockets and so the way that our office does it is we will assign one, two, or if it's big, maybe three prosecutors onto a misdemeanor docket to handle all of the cases that are on that docket. Each officer, deputy, trooper, whatever it is, they are set to have one criminal court date per month and mm-hmm. one traffic court date per month. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we will handle either their criminal date or their traffic date. And we'll have, you know, anywhere from three to 15 different officers on each docket. And so we get those assignments about a month in advance. We could start kind of reviewing those cases. Mm -hmm. And if a case, let's say, gets continued from, you know, the March court date, it would go on to that officer's next date of April, May, June, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Felonies for our court are not set on the officer's date for the most part. And so when a defendant is arraigned, they have a next court date that's set, and that's going to be the preliminary hearing for their felony. We have less control over that, but from that date, we could, if we need to continue it, continue it to a different date. So I can say, you know what, I'm in a jury trial on that day. I can't do that, but I could do, you know, Thursday instead, and we can try to find a date that works for everybody. Um, But otherwise, I just have too many cases to just be like, ah, everything's going to be on, you know, Mondays. It's just not going to work that way. And then jury trials are all going to be specifically set on you know a certain date or a date range depending on what
0: it looks like interesting how such official proceedings rely yeah. on just like hey when are you free you free you free for this at this time like you done right, not right, right. trial on this day like right because you're all so busy all the time with all this other shit you're doing
1: <laughs> i just had a, a case <laughs> i just scheduled it about two or three weeks ago it's um it's a blood DUI case so it means it's a okay. DUI where there was a blood draw to determine the alcohol mm. content of the defendant's blood and that requires additional witnesses. So I have to call the nurse who drew the blood and I have to call a forensic toxicologist who analyzed the blood. So we oh, have wow. a uh, a lab in Virginia that is you know operated by the Commonwealth of Virginia and so we bring the same toxicologist but she's in court in like eight or nine different jurisdictions so her schedule is mm. crazy and then I have, two law enforcement officers who I have to call as witnesses and two EMTs to call as witnesses. And then I have my own avoid date. So I had this crazy list of avoid dates. We're trying to set this three-day jury trial. And that was a colossal pain and in Virginia, we have something called uh, there's a constitutional and there's also a statutory speedy trial where the defendant, this guy's been held in jail the entire time. I have to mm-hmm. set this case on a very short timeline, basically five months since we did the preliminary hearing. Right. So I've only got a five month window with a ton of avoid dates to work out for. So it was kind of like playing calendar Tetris to fit this trial in. It was rough.
0: Crazy, because like I experienced some of this, but it's like obviously not that important if like we don't meet on a certain day or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like annoying right. to like, align calendars in general yeah um dude there's yeah. a product somewhere in there like <laughs>
1: i'm <laughs> sure there is yeah. legal
0: calendar scheduling like focus <laughs> on that niche there's, there's a there's a product in there somewhere that i bet right like, could down right be, be or something um i was curious do you have any stories just from court that i mean that you've been able to share
1: it's um It's a tough, exhausting job. And part of the difficulty is there's a lot that I can't share. Um, We have a lot of pressure and stress on us. And for a lot of victims are like, of course, the defendant's guilty because I was there, I lived through it. I know exactly what happened. How could any other result possibly come about other than him being found guilty? Like what possible explanation is there? And it's Mm -hmm. tough because we carry the burden of proof. If you have any reasonable doubt as a juror, you were literally directed to find the person not guilty. And so that's a lot of stress and pressure for us. Victims and witnesses are all over the place. Some of them are like, you need to hammer this guy. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Some are like, we could not care less. Mm -hmm. Um, And some just don't understand how sentencing ranges work and how that goes. So a lot of my job, my job at its base level is, presenting evidence to prove that x criminal offense happened it's a lot of reviewing the evidence figuring out what i have figuring out what i can proceed on communicating with witnesses and with victims negotiating yeah. with defense attorneys which is probably the biggest headache of my job mm-hmm. um, and i get along with most of them just fine but it's just that just becomes a lot of of the weight of it
0: i'm thinking like i don't know if you watch better call saul yeah at of all, maybe so like mm-hmm. he like runs into the same attorney in the hallway and yeah. like coffee and they go to the vending machine and it's like yep. they're coworkers almost, but they're also against each other and they're negotiating yep. like 10 different cases. Yep. Is that, I mean how accurate is that? And yep. then do you often find yourself giving a little bit on this case and not on another case? Or do you feel like it's pretty evenly like start starting from scratch on every case?
1: Um, so I'll kind of take those in, in reverse order. I wouldn't say we say, all right, well, let's add a little bit more over here to take a little bit more over there. I think that'd be totally unfair to the one who's getting to the defendant who's getting screwed on that. So we try to deal with each individual case. I will say some of our discussions are, well, you know, you gave X deal to this person and why are they not either getting similar offers or Mm. this guy had more mitigation? So, you know, why is the second guy not getting, Mm. you know, the worst deal? Why is the first guy not getting a better deal? So Mm -hmm. there is some of that kind of comparing to try to keep it equal, but there's none of that like, all right, I'll give you a conviction on this, but I'll, you know, drop right. that one over there. I think there is some accuracy to what happened in how Better Call Saul has presented it. I've never been trapped in an elevator with a defense attorney. So that scene, I think, is probably totally manufactured. But yeah, we really are like co workers in, in the sense that we deal with each other all the time, but have kind of conflicting interests to represent. Yeah. It's funny because you, you get to know defense attorneys and you're going to say, okay, cool. Well, I have this case. They're going to try to bring up that issue in this case. How do I yeah. combat that? Or, oh, this attorney mm. really likes to look at these issues. I got to make sure that I'm prepared to be able to respond to that. And you know, the public defenders only work with our office, so we see them all the time. They see us a ton. The private attorneys who are local, we see a lot. And then there are some who we see kind of less frequently. Maybe they're in the jurisdiction, you know, next to us. And mm. there are some that I just I've never seen before, and that's you know, kind of totally starting fresh. But at the end of the day, I like to think that regardless of whether I work with them every single day or I've never seen them before, they're going to get a very similar offer, at least based on the facts of the case. And I'm really trying to tailor the offers that I make to the defendant, to their history and to the conduct Mm. in this particular case, not to who's representing them. I will say some, and it goes both ways. Some prosecutors and some defense attorneys take things very, very personally. And so Mm. there's been a lot of bad blood and animosity that has been built up over time not just in my jurisdiction, as far as I can tell everywhere over this, because they deal Mm. with each other all the time. So I I like to play the long game and I want to have a good relationship over time. I'm, I have no one case. It's like, this is my super bowl. I'm willing to do anything to get this win I don't even count wins. I don't know what that means. What a win is, um, yeah, a lot of right. people do. So I think it's really how you look at it.
0: Yeah, it makes a ton of sense that yeah. you would like tailor it to this unique scenario. And then, right, it, I find it interesting though that there's this there's this world of like, you like know the tricks that this one lawyer has, and that that affects like a, a case. Yeah. And it's like one to one battle. It's like very cool. Um, it is. Yeah. yeah, I bet you're really good at it too. I would, I would love to uh... see you. In, love to see you in action. <laughs>
1: You're
0: welcome. Anytime. I'm <laughs> welcome to fly out. Yeah. Is yeah, it, absolutely. is it public? Like people, do, like public yeah. hearings. Okay, cool. Yeah. Wide open oh. public courtroom. Yep. Wow. The, yeah. the other thing I was going to ask about is, um, is witness preparation. Yeah. That sounds hard. Putting faith in someone else who maybe doesn't have as much of investment in the case or in your career or in the prosecution at all. But yeah, you know, like what kind of things do you do to make sure you have like a witness that's well prepared?
1: So it depends on the case. A lot of the cases that I end up prosecuting, um, my only witnesses are law enforcement officers, and you'd think that they would be great because they do it all the time, but that's not always the case, but they're usually less... Invested in the case. I'd say the hardest cases are domestic cases. And Mm -hmm. we have a lot of, and it's not us, this is just, I think, across the criminal justice system, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of victims of domestic abuse who will recant subsequent to the incident happening for any number of reasons. One, they could be scared of the defendant. Two, the defendant could be the sole provider for their family. And if that person goes to jail, then they have no income and they are going to be homeless and it spirals from there and they're not Mm -hmm. willing to risk all of that, and just a whole bunch more reasons. So those are really, really difficult, emotionally charged cases that oftentimes become very difficult to prosecute. For a lot of the cases, I'm not in that court. We have a specialized team that does that. It's incredibly Mm. difficult work that I want nothing to do with. You have attorneys who build their entire careers on getting to and doing this work. Um, And Mm -hmm. it's just not something that I think I have the emotional fortitude to do. So a lot of the cases that I end up prosecuting, uh, my biggest concerns are a witness not showing up or a witness being unavailable or officers Mm -hmm. on scene who, you know, there is a witness that we need. They don't get any of their contact information. I have no way to find this person Mm -hmm. and I can't Mm -hmm. win my case. And I can't I can't put on my evidence without this individual. That's where things get really, really difficult for me. But to your point, a lot of witnesses just have no idea or they just get really combative on the stand. And that's the worst thing you yeah. can do is get combative with the defense attorney because it's going to make it look like you're hiding, you're relying on something, or you're going to get worked up and you're going to fall right into whatever trap the defense attorney right. is trying to set. And so that makes it almost impossible.
0: Wow. Yeah. Pays to have good relationships and just like be pleasant in general, whether you're in the right or wrong at all a hundred
1: percent it really does and i do my best to do that but you know this is emotionally charged and difficult work so i i get it when people don't do that but the best thing you can do is look i'm my job is just to put on the evidence that's all i'm here to do
0: so do you get um like cops saying like oh the guy in the red hat said that they ran the stop sign like and you're like who's the guy in the red hat like (laughs) is it that kind of like vague description
1: uh sometimes it can be um and so that makes it tough yeah um we definitely have id issues on a lot of cases yeah
0: yeah interesting okay right on yeah um so just really one more like topic i'm curious about it's it's about covid and like your job i'm curious how that affected your day-to-day and i don't know Yep. yeah how did that affect the like your world you know
1: so court was pretty much shut down entirely actually it's kind of funny so covid hit maybe 10 days into me starting my job. So we, my boss took over January of 2020. And then I went down and worked in the legislature for that delegate for the next two months. And then I start like March 5th, I think. And then COVID becomes a thing like March, I don't know, 15th or whatever, really the shutdown started rolling out. So I get there and I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea how to be a lawyer. I have no idea how to be a prosecutor. I'm supposed to like learn how to do all these things. And I'm just like, paused, doing nothing, um, I get sent home and I start doing at my boss's direction, a bunch of like research on legislative stuff. So I find stuff to keep me busy. Yeah. Um, so it actually kind of worked out well for me personally, but the biggest problem is they didn't want people in court for obvious reasons. Cause you know, it's a packed courthouse. So mm-hmm. they basically continued every single case for any defendant who was not in jail. So if you were out of jail, you were at Liberty, you're just going to get punted for like two months. Um, But if you were in jail, you know, you should probably have a trial date. And so we were just going to streamline it and just work on those cases at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you also had transportation issues at the jail. And if there was an outbreak of COVID at the jail, like the entire pod would get shut down. So then, you know, maybe your defendant hadn't gotten sick, but your defendant was in a pod that had gotten sick. So now we're continuing that case. And now I've got a whole bunch of witnesses coming who are going to get sent home because we can't do the hearing cuz the defendant's not able to get transported cuz they're stuck in lockdown at the jail so there what were a, a ton of like logistical issues that went into that. During that time, a lot of law enforcement officers started writing fewer tickets or fewer summons. Obviously, mm-hmm. they prosecuted like the big crime still. Mm-hmm. Um, or we prosecuted, but they they arrested for those offenses still, but we had fewer people for traffic. So we saw kind of a nice like decrease on the back end, but it created this kind of like weird ripple of cases that were on any given docket. So it was kind of a wild nice. time for us. Yeah.
0: Yeah, just winging it every day, basically. Oh, this person's right. out. Right. Well, this has to get punted. Yeah. Constantly. Or
1: for us too, right? Because like yeah. I can't. It's I've done all this prep work on this on this one case, and I get COVID or I'm a close contact of somebody two days before. Like now, I got to try to hand this off to somebody at short notice. Are we going to get this case continued? If defense can object to it, is the court going to grant it? What are we going to do? So that was a nightmare Jeez. for us, also.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that sounds terrible. I I was yeah. like. The most protected during COVID, like I was just working yeah. remotely like this. Like that's awesome. I cannot imagine needing to interface with the public. You know, right, right, right. right on, man. Um, yeah. dude, this was an awesome chat. It was awesome to yeah. hear your story. Love seeing what you're doing. That you're you're doing good. Um, I hope your boss wins this election. I guess you know, this year. <laughs> that's
1: probably the safest option for me.
0: Yeah. Well, I know you, you'll you'll find success wherever you go, and you know, free. For sure. Free um, application idea for you there. Scheduling. 100%.
1: Scheduling I already app have it written down on post it right here. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah.
0: You you live the pain. So you're already the best person to. That's to build exactly it. right. Yeah. That's
1: exactly right. Find the yeah. problem and develop the solution to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. Exactly. Dude, thanks for joining me. This is super fun. I hope things are going good for you and the family.
1: Absolutely. Everybody's doing well. It was my pleasure yeah. to join. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I'm actually really excited to see that you're doing this. I was so thrilled when I saw cool. this a few weeks ago so i'm yeah. so glad i could be a part of it so early on
0: yeah thanks so much i appreciate you
1: my pleasure buddy good seeing you
0: have a good snap later Take care. Bye. thanks for joining work stuff can you see my screen no i don't think so because it's just for listening i'm the guy who brings up work stuff at parties my name is andy and i thank you for joining me work stuff A podcast, professional stories casually told on work stuff.